Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Hello, welcome back everyone. This is Sarah. And this is Katie. We made it. We're 20 minutes late. You guys wouldn't know that. <laughs> 20 minutes later and we're there. I mean, you guys, Katie made a good point. She was like, it's not like we've done this 250 plus times. <laughs> right? But still. Somehow technology still fails us and if we believed in celestial Jesus, it would be celestial Jesus cursing us for sure. Or the ghost of Brigham Young. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll say that. One of the two. But it was just, oh God, it's just like one of those things where there's no logic behind why it just wasn't working that yeah. I can think of. So that's great. Good news is we're here. And I have some new patrons to shout out. I do see them. They're so exciting. (laughs) So exciting. New patron, Gwen. I love your name. Welcome, Gwen. Thank you for joining us. Oh, hi, Gwen. That's like a family name. That's right. So welcome. Thank you. And also, hello to Ruth. Thank you, Ruth, for joining us. And I think Ruth is in... The UK, according to the monetary symbol on their donation. So thank you, Ruth. And cool that you're in the UK. <laughs> Wait, I think not in the UK. Sorry, I'm going to be that person. I think. Oh, oh, it's euros. That's euros. Yeah, I was remembering it wrong. Euros. <laughs> that's right. No. Yeah, I think, Ruth, I think you might be in Germany because I see a dot D-E at the end of your um, email address. So Look at you. Germany. Look at your little investigative skills. I know. It's bringing me back to my Berlin days. I could be wrong, but I think you are in Germany. Welcome. Well, Oh my God. So thank you, all of our patrons and our new patrons. And if you guys want extra content or to support us, just go over to patreon.com slash not so Molly Mormon. And we put up um, usually extra little episode each week over there for you. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So anyway, do you have any announcements before we get into our topic today? Just a small one, not an announcement, but I just knew you guys would appreciate it. Um, I have had stuck in my head for the past two days, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God God hath done. (laughs) Yeah, it's been stuck on repeat in my head for two straight days, and I'm going crazy. It will not get out of my head. Well, thanks a lot. Now it's going to be stuck in my head and I'm going to have to suffer with you. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like Satan. I love company. Misery loves company. And, and Satan, we were always taught that Satan just loves company. And he loves doing that three-step maneuver with a crowd. Yeah. <laughs> to count your blessings. So there you go. To count your blessings, name them one by one. Oh, well, Speaking of Satan, that's a good segue into our topic today. I'm going to be reading you a talk given at BYU by Dallin H. Oaks. Dallin, homophobe. Mm -hmm. It is titled Sin and Suffering. That is morbid. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get into it. So just imagine yourself, Sarah, because you went to BYU. Imagine yourself in the what 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 room was it or what theater or whatever was it called where you would go for a 
devotional when a apostle would come to talk? Was there a specific building? Yeah, it was the um, uh, it was a building that they had uh, the basketball games in. Which now okay. Yeah, sorry to everyone who's screaming at us right now. We, yeah. <laughs> you know which one we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the basketball center one, and I cannot think of it. The name, I can see it perfectly in my head right now. But okay, yeah. so imagine that you're there and you're all excited because Dallin A. Jokes is gonna be giving a talk. Just to you. Okay. He starts by saying, Sister Oaks and I are glad to be with you this evening. It is always a thrill to return to BYU, where we have some of our happiest memories. For example, half of our six children were born while we were here at BYU. The first two were born while we were students here, and the last was born while I was serving as president. That is what you call coming full circle. Can you imagine having two kids while you're still in college? But also, it's just like weird to talk about how you've conceived and birthed your children at BYU and then saying coming full circle. <laughs> Like, yuck, I don't need that sexual pun there. <laughs> that little innuendo, whether intended yeah. or not, he's coming full circle. <laughs> yeah. I begin by describing an event that happened here on campus. About 15 years ago, a group of newspaper editors from various Western states came to Salt Lake City to learn more about the church. They visited with church authorities, went to Temple Square, saw the welfare program in action, and then came to BYU. At dinner in the Wilkinson Center, I sat with an editor from California. He was immensely impressed with what he had seen. He said, quote, you Mormons really know how to do it. Uh, again. Again. The innuendo. <laughs> All right. I'm actually sure Mormons usually don't know how to do it. That's. That's the thing. Yeah, they don't know how to have pleasure while doing it. They they figured out the mechanics enough to have a lot of kids, but yeah. maybe not the orgasm part so much. Yeah, that's lacking. <laughs> then he praised the various things he had seen. I enjoyed his positive reactions to everything. Later, he asked the location of the nearest restroom and excused himself. When he returned, he had a triumphant smile on his face. He said, well... I found out that you Mormons are just like everyone else. <laughs> oh, God. I don't My know head was going like, what, is he, what did he discover while he was in there taking a dump? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. In response to my question, he explained, quote, when I go into a restroom in another public place, I find there are things written on the wall. And when I went into the restroom here in the Wilkinson Center, I found it was just like other restrooms. There was something written on the wall. Okay. I was sorry that the man's gleaming impressions had been tarnished, and I began to apologize about how difficult it was to keep current on the maintenance in a public place. <laughs> he smiled and raised his hand to stop me. Oh, I'm just kidding, he said. It's true there was something written in there, but I've never seen anything like that written on the wall in a public place. It was just one word. It said, repent. <gasps> Oh, my God. Like, I can't, I mean, I can't imagine because it's BYU and I could 100% imagine someone being like, repent, like that same, remember, I don't, it was like, I don't know, probably 10-ish years ago when that 
guy lost his shit on BYU campus because there was a a woman that was wearing leggings in yes. Utah and like yes. he went this like rampage about it and was like it's unacceptable. So they're there. I could totally see that same type of guy being like repent and writing it on the wall. <laughs> Just the imagine while they're they're taking a poo, they get out their sharpie and they write repent on the stuff. I mean. <laughs> Everywhere else, there's going to be, like, pictures of titties and willies on the wall Uh and, like, normal what someone would be thinking about. And then you have repent at BYU. (laughs) And I love how how Dallin is comparing this. Like, he's like, this is a public place. Oh, it's hard to keep it clean and, like, comparing it to a a convenience store bathroom, right? Exactly. No. But also, I would be... I'd be so weirded out if I went into a bathroom and just saw repent. I'd be like, I would be oh, freaked God. out completely. Right? I'd be like, this is so weird and creepy. So weird. Whoever wrote that word on a restroom wall in the Wilkinson Center many years ago at least knew the word repent, which is more than can be said for many people in the world today. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's just, he's just assuming that people are stupid and don't know what the word repent means, even if they're not religious. Like, like major eye roll. Like, okay, yeah. only Mormons <laughs> know the word repent. Okay. <laughs> don't you know they own repentance, Sarah? They own it. <laughs> oh, but I wonder how many of us understand the principle and purpose of repentance, including its relationship to sin and suffering. We are concerned that some young people who are anticipating serving a mission or being married in the temple have a very lax attitude towards sin. I'll just have a few free ones, they say, and then I'll repent quickly and go on my mission or get married in the temple and everything will be all right. I'll just have a few free ones. What <laughs> what sins are free in Mormon yeah, which, religion? Which free sins? I, I'm assuming he's talking about sex or maybe drinking i don't know i don't know what he's talking about (laughs) also i don't think i've ever met a mormon who had that way of thinking i was going to ask you that because i i i've met some mormons who said that they went on quote unquote a wild streak and they they didn't go to church for like a year and they got a tattoo and had a couple drinks at a bar once and they're like oh I was so wild and then I came back to church but it wasn't like I've never known a fully active Mormon to be like oh I'll just do this and repent later like I've never yeah I've never heard of a Mormon doing that but maybe it, it, it probably happens, but, like, not yeah. as much of a phenomenon as he's saying it here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when I was a young man, I accompanied a Protestant friend to his church service. There, I heard a minister take on the subject of sin. That minister really beat up on sin. He condemned it. <laughs> beat he up. Didn't... <laughs> beat up. Ding, 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 number three. He (laughs) condemned it. He denounced it. He left no doubt in the mind of anyone that he was against sin. But he didn't give the congregation one word of definition or explanation about what it was. They love to do this about other religions. They like to say that they're just playing church, as Brad Wilcox said. Like, exactly. He like, didn't give his having, sermon right. Yeah. So fucking condescending. It's disgusting. Like, okay, because, yeah, I can't. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. 
During one week last month, a knowledgeable observer listed some of the crimes reported in a Utah newspaper and then struck off those where the accused was not a member of this church. The remaining list provides some illustrations of the kinds of sins in which Latter-day Saints were involved, including fraud, sale of illegal drugs, aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping, sexual abuse upon a child, and a professional having sexual relations with a client. No surprise there, but I'm honestly surprised that he even yeah, like, I'm like, brought it up. Hey, whoa, whoa? Yeah. I'm, I, uh, like, for a yeah. second, when you're reading that list, I was like, wait, did she say these are, like, Mormons are included on this list or excluded? Yeah, these are all Mormons. And he's pointing out that Mormons are terrible sinners and they need to repent. Okay. And well, I can't believe he said the, the abuse one. I know. I know. Church disciplinary records make us aware of other serious transgressions rarely reported in the press, including adultery, fornication, and apostasy. So he's relating adultery and apostasy to child abuse. And they're just as bad of sins. Yeah, that's so fucked up and disgusting. Like, yeah. Like, those sins don't get press, but they're just as bad. And No, yeah. sir, they're not. <laughs> those are things that only impact one and two, or like one or two people, probably mm-hmm. two people. That's it, in the sense of it's heartbreak, but unless it's right. abuse, physical or sexual or mentally, it's just, you know, a, a difficult time to go through, not newsworthy because it's a fucking crime. Right. Also... Our fornication isn't a crime at all. No, exactly. Or yeah. it, it doesn't even lead to heartbreak usually of mm-hmm. any kind. Like if it's consenting adults, yeah. have at it. <laughs> um, sure. As background, let us review some familiar principles. One of the principal purposes of this life is to test the children of God to see whether we will keep his commandments. Isn't that so sad? We used to believe that this life was just a test. That it wasn't a life to be enjoyed and lived to the fullest. It was a test to see how well you can follow the rules. That's sad. I think about that sometimes. So this is a little side note tangent thing. Um, I'm part of this like mentoring program at work with leadership. And this, the person who is my mentor slash coach, uh, she does like life coaching. And this is, so basically she was saying, where do I fit on this, this grid? this chart Mm -hmm. and one of the parts is in your life it's called socializing and that's a stage like two stages past child anyway she was saying that that's the part where your decisions are made by an institute or religion and that's how I'm like lingering in there because I only ever thought right or wrong or how my life or any decision I made was based off of the socializing aspect and it doesn't have to be religion but more often than not that's one of the biggest areas in that part. And people who have religion stay there for a lot longer. Oh and their God. decisions are made off of that, which is what we're talking about right now. So for the longest time, like we would believe that that was what was right. Cause we mm-hmm. didn't have our own decisions. Like we didn't know, Oh, actually I think that's right or wrong, but instead yeah. society or this religion tells you what's right or we wrong. We didn't have those decision-making or critical thinking skills. Oh my God. That's like blowing my mind. Very Girl, interesting. It was, 
It was a crazy session. It was like a 20 page report. She wrote oh, wow. all these interviews I've been doing. And I was like, mind blown. That's incredible. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. I like want to know more. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to. I'll, if you guys want to know more, I'll send over that because it's actually like a study and there's a book on it um, that she uses. So anyways, it's really interesting. Very cool and very relatable. <laughs> Uh, He says, therefore, this life is a probationary time, a time to repent and serve God. Probationary time. Oh, my God, I can't. The, (laughs) The breaking of a commandment of God is sin. So for every sin, there is a punishment affixed. And in the final judgment, we will stand before God to be judged according to our works. This is something that it just sticks out to me because a lot of Mormons love to say, we're better than other Christians, Christian religions, because we believe everybody is getting into heaven. Yeah. And but other Christian religions say, if you just say, I believe in Christ and I follow Christ, then you're good. You can go, you can go to heaven. But Mormons say you're you're judged according to your works and then you get placed on a pyramid, <laughs> a pyramid scheme pyramid. of where what you did in this life so it's not automatic free for all in the highest level of heaven like they love to make it seem (laughs) exactly no I think that's a really fair point because yeah it's always like but we let everyone into heaven but it's like not really you don't not really and you don't let apostates into heaven yeah (laughs) um Those who have broken the commandments of God and have not repented in this life will stand with shame and awful guilt before the bar of God. They will have an awful view of their own guilt and abominations. The scriptures describes this as a lively sense of guilt, pain, and anguish, which is an unquenchable fire whose flame ascendeth up forever and ever. God, way to be dramatic. I know. No wonder we were scared of leaving the church and or of doing anything wrong ever, because who wants to burn in the, what was it, unquenchable fire? I mean. Yeah, and also, you know, this is another example of, and I don't know if you remember it as well, but they would always say, and especially in the South, like, oh, Mormonism is so different from some of the other religions in the South of like, you know, fire and brimstone and they only teach about like hell and how it's so, you know, terrifying. And we don't do that. We focus on resurrection and on Christ and blah, blah, blah. But that's not the case. They still have stuff like this, but they just do it in a sneakier way where it's like, well, we're going to be really, really gentle, but then we're going to throw in this really dark, uh, fear mongering part here and then go back to but we love everyone and everyone yep. accepting that's sneakier because you don't see it it's like oh put, absolutely putting absolutely. a crab in boiling water it's what it is right I um I of course I don't agree with the fire and brimstone church or what they teach or anything or any of those philosophies mm-hmm. but at least they're upfront about it yeah <laughs> Exactly. And you don't have to dig through different talks and piece things together and get gaslit the entire time. (laughs) Exactly that. At least it's like straightforward in your face. Yeah. And you know what you're signing up for. (laughs) Um, 
As we consider these sobering words, we realize that there is something very peculiar about the state of mind or heart of the person who deliberately commits sin in the expectation that he or she will speedily and comfortably repent and continue as a servant of God, preaching repentance and asking others to come unto Christ. I will illustrate the peculiarity of this attitude with an analogy. Our favorite part. Um, <laughs> The mother of a large family is burdened almost past the point of endurance. Every waking hour is spent serving the needs of her large family, meals, mending, transporting, counseling, caring for those who are sick, comforting those who mourn, and administering to every other need a mother can understand. She has committed herself to do everything within her power to serve the needs of her children. She is giving her life for them. The children know she will attempt to carry whatever load is placed upon her. Most of them are considerate and do all that they can to minimize her burden. But some, knowing of her willingness to serve, heedlessly pile more and more tasks on the weary mother. Don't worry about it, is their attitude. She'll carry it. She said she would. Drop it on mom and we'll just have a good time. Uh, I mean, I'm waiting for the part where they say that the church isn't like that or it's different because they do that to moms. Yeah, that's the, the irony is that that is that was a depiction of a Mormon mother exactly and the expectation of what you're meant to do and the fact that you're not just to be a mom you're also meant to be like you know involved in church activities all the time Mm -hmm. on top of everything else but he's trying to make a different point he's saying he says in this analogy I am obviously likening the heedless children to those who sin in the expectation that someone else will bear the burden of suffering the one who bears the burden is our savior oh here we go so to that I want to say they preach that Christ suffered for all our sins so if he already suffered for our sins, what does it matter if we sin? <laughs> I honestly... It's like it's already I, been done, man. <laughs> exactly. I remember I had that thought pop into my head once as a Mormon because I don't even know. It never, it, it rarely ever popped in my head. But at one point it did where it was like, wait a minute. If he's already suffered all this and went through a pain that an agony, because how they describe it is like so unbearable that no human, no no person would ever have been able to endure it except for Christ. Then I was like, so why does it matter? Right. If we just, it's like that meme of Jesus with the sunglasses on. And he's like, remember if you don't sin, I died for nothing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That it's like, yeah. yeah, this whole analogy that the people who, do sit. It, it, it to me, it feels like he's calling out other Christian religions too that are like, we can sin, I'll just repent, and or I'll just go to confession or whatever. And he's saying that's not how it works. You're just being like those bitchy little children who are putting too much on their mother. When actually, the analogy it should be reversed that mom's already done everything for you, so you can just have your laundry done forever because she's already done it through eternity. Which is what you know, which is what technically. <laughs> He, they say Jesus did is yeah. died for all your sins that I'll, you'll ever commit. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the worst analogies ever. Like we're, it's it's on par with the gnat, the zombie gnat one. Like <laughs> I'm just, at least that one was like funny and comical and just so <laughs> ludicrous and absurd that it was great. But this one is like, sir, you're what? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Oh, I forgot about zombie gnat. <laughs> 
Also, I just said ludicrous, and I instantly thought of the Super Bowl. <gasps> Can you even? I was up was dancing upset. the whole time. Guys, I've never been more of a millennial or more white and so basic in my life than when I was dancing to everything on that entire. <laughs> what What did Greg think? He didn't even watch it. It was just me. He was like, I'm not watching this shit. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, but it's Usher. And he was like, I think it's going to be really bad. And I was like, you can't say that about Usher. Yeah, did you see him on those skates? Oh, my God, I was so impressed. And Chris came out and little John. I was just like, it was. Oh, and Alicia. He's like, come on. It was fantastic. Anyway, back to this. Back to this bullshit. Uh, Alma the Younger certainly understood that easy and painless sorrow was not a sufficient basis for repentance. His experience, related in detail in the Book of Mormon, is our best scriptural illustration of the fact that the process of repentance is filled with personal suffering for sin. That is so intense. Like. Emma the Younger wasn't a real person, dude. Exactly. <laughs> I know they think no he was. One, but... No one in the Book of Mormon was real. Right. It was just whatever trip Joseph Smith was on, <laughs> who's taking some great mushrooms, that's that's what it was. Also, like, what a silly name, Alma the Younger. <laughs> yeah, what about Alma the Older? What about Alma the the Middle Child? Like, are they going to have those involved? He just, he just wanted to have a more clever in his mind way of saying Alma Jr. (laughs) I mean, the fact that again, as a Mormon, we were just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we just accepted it. Someone was just named Alma the Younger. He (laughs) sailed across from Jerusalem and was part of the Native American. Oh my God, I just can't. Okay. After... Alma said after he was stopped in his wicked course, he was in the darkest abyss, racked with eternal torment, for my soul was harrowed up to the greatest degree and racked with all my sins. I was tormented with the pains of hell. He tells how the very thought of coming into the presence of God did rack his soul with inexpressible horror. He says rack a lot. I know. Again, sexual innuendo. Mm-hmm. All of our personal, your rack, (laughs) all of our personal experience confirms the fact that we must endure personal suffering in the process of repentance. And for serious transgressions, that, excuse me, that suffering can be severe and prolonged. I believe that every one of us who is truly honest with himself recognizes the truth of this principle. So, again, you commit quote unquote sin, which can we just say sin isn't real. It's a man-made thing and it's used to control and guilt people. And you do one tiny misstep. You drink one cup of coffee or you taste a beer or you dry hump your boyfriend. And then you're supposed to be in severe sorrow and suffering for that. I I mean, come on. Guys, this is why... There's a whole thing called soaking. This is why Starbucks is seen as like the most evil establishment on earth, which, you know, it could be. But from a Mormon point of view, it's like all these things are just like, honestly, it's so extreme. It's not a, oh, you just shouldn't do it. It's like extreme fear and yes. hate towards them. 
Exactly. And we like to giggle about it because that's our way of healing. Hello. (laughs) But really, though, it's intense and traumatizing to have that shame put upon you and to feel like you need to suffer because of something that was usually quite benign. I mean, yeah, if you did something really horrible, yeah, you should pay for it and suffer. But most of the time when we're talking about sin in the Mormon church, it's arbitrary things. Yeah, Yeah. This month's Enzyme contains an anonymous article describing such an experience under the title Yearning to Return. A repenting transgressor who was excommunicated describes his personal feelings as, quote, tearful hours, misery, wishing to be covered by a million mountains, crushed by the shame, dark blackness, unbearable pain and anguish as wide as eternity. Okay, I'm going to say... That's probably not a real yeah, quote I'm, from someone. Like, I can't imagine an ex-Mormon sitting no. in. No, that was written by some editorial person at the Enzyme office. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm just going to call bullshit on that one. Yeah. Also, I kind of want to call bullshit on the repent on the bathroom stall thing. But I, I enjoy I enjoy it too much that I'm just going to leave it. But I highly doubt <laughs> there <laughs> I just I struggle with that one too like the the first thing when you read that I was like really I mean yeah. I know it is BYU but even for BYU I'm like who just why would they write repent come on because I feel like that could be considered a sin of like yeah. defacing the Lord's property or something exactly yeah <laughs> that's what I thought Yeah. I plead with you, my brothers and sisters, my young friends and my older friends, avoid transgression. The idea that one is better off after one has sinned and repented is a devilish lie of the adversary. See, that is so fucked up because they always teach like you can always repent and be clean. But right here, he says you're not better off after you've sinned and repented. You're still dirty. Like, yeah, exactly. Does anyone here think that it is better to learn firsthand that a certain blow will break a bone or a certain mixture of chemicals will explode and sear off our skin? Are we better off after we have sustained and then healed such injuries? I believe we all can see that it is better to heed the warnings of wise persons who know the effects on our bodies of certain traumas. Jesus, that's so intense. Like such a drama queen. Like, the acid on skin, is that what you said? Like, Yeah, like, it's better to just avoid it than, and just trust us when we tell you that it's bad. Don't, you don't, you don't need personal experience. You, you just need us to tell you, don't masturbate, don't ever try it, because it's basically like putting acid on your skin. <laughs> oh, my God. Some years ago, one of our sons asked me why it wasn't a good idea to try alcohol or tobacco to see what it was like. He knew about the word of wisdom, and he also knew the health effects of these substances, but he was questioning why he shouldn't just try them out for himself. I replied that if he wanted to try something, he ought to go out into the barnyard and eat a little manure. He he recoiled in horror. Oh, that's gross, he reacted. I'm glad you think so, I said, but why don't you just try it out so you will know for yourself? While you're proposing to try one thing that you know is not good for you, why don't you apply that principle to some others? This story illustrates the silliness of trying it out for yourself. I mean, the silliness is this analogy that you're giving or this story that you're sharing right now. That is 
absolutely stupid. <laughs> like, it is not the same thing at all. Like, it, you could like, say that to, for everything. Yeah, and they're, they have no problem with eating sugar that's technically bad for you. Exactly. Or it's just silly, like, you or can't... Or drinking, con- like, liters of soda. Yeah. Which, again, not shaming anyone who's listening. If you drink liters of soda a day, that's fine. But it's yeah, just go the, for it. the hypocrisy in the Mormon church where it's like one cup of coffee is a thousand times worse than, like, liters of, of sugary soda right. every day. Like, it, you well, can't... You can't have it both ways. And again, it's a stupid analogy because you can consume, say, a beer, a bottle of beer, and you will be okay. If you ate cow manure, you're probably going to get real sick. Like, there's a difference between edible and not edible or ingestible or not ingestible. And he's trying to be like, well, why don't you just go eat shit? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it's just so stupid. But the thing is, we laugh and joke about it, but and we were Mormons at one point. I mean, and a lot of people, obviously, in the Mormon church are smart and intelligent, and they, they would question this, but you just push it so down yeah, that you're exactly. like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I, I get it. I could see if I, like, listened to this when I was quite young, I could see myself being like, oh, that's a good analogy. <laughs> Exactly. I would have been the same way. Like, that is so insightful. So profound. So profound. Uh, Young men, the girl you are dating may be your wife in a few years, but probably she will not. Possibly she will turn out to be the wife of your bishop or your stake president. Young women... The fellow you are dating may turn out to be your husband, but more likely he will not. He may turn out to be the husband of your sister or your best friend. He may even be a counselor in your bishopric or an employee you supervise at your place of work. Conduct your life today so that your tomorrows are not burdened with bad or embarrassing memories. What? I, I'm not. What? He's like saying that just avoid sin avoid trying it out for yourself i'm assuming he's referring to sex here avoid trying out sex because you might have to interact with your boyfriend later on and you don't want to be embarrassed by the fact that you had premarital sex this is the wildest talk ever like i just so bizarre i I just thought if i feel like it's all over the place and weird and just none of it makes sense i'm just just all like don't do any of this because you'll be embarrassed or you'll go to hell. Or if you do repent, it won't be good enough. <laughs> this is wild. Repentance is a continuing process needed by all because, quote, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Again, we're all sinners. We're all terrible. Blah, blah, blah. Elder Spencer W. Kimball said, Sometimes when a repentant one looks back and sees the ugliness, the loathsomeness of the transgression, he is almost overwhelmed and wonders, can the Lord ever forgive me? Can I ever forgive myself? But when one reaches the depths of despondency and feels the hopelessness of his position, and when he cries out to God for mercy and helplessness, but in faith, there comes a still, small, but penetrating voice. (laughs) There there it is. Whispering to his soul. Thy sins are forgiven thee. That was from The Miracle of Forgiveness, the grossest book in the whole wide world. Oh, the gross red book. <laughs> um, 
When this happens, how precious the promise that God will take away the guilt from our hearts through the merits of his son. How comforting the promise that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. These things are true. I testify. Wow, the church is true. I testify. Wow, the church is true. <laughs> I testify of Jesus Christ who made it all possible and who gave us the conditions of repentance and the pathway to perfection provided by his atoning sacrifice. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Josh Christ. Amen. Josh Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that a roller coaster? It's just intense. Like, I, when when was that talk given? I what think year? it was in, like, 90-something. God, I'm just wondering if I ever heard that as a kid or... I know. That, it was probably oh. referenced at some point. Because it... And I like how we... You know, it always follows that same formula that we point out. Because there at the end, it was let let out let off with a nice ending like yeah. you can be forgiven your sins will be white as snow but the whole rest of the time it was hounding on like everything you do you'll be you'll feel guilty you need to feel all this suffering and shame and torture and Jeez. blah 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 for your sins and then oh but yeah he'll forgive you eventually you just have to suffer for, yeah. for why? Why do you have to suffer again? If apparently Jesus already did. That's, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's a lie. It went from the repent in the bathroom at BYU <laughs> to then this analogy of his son or the story of his son. And he teaches him a lesson of being like, why don't you just go eat cow manure? And that's the same thing. And then it goes to like, the mother and their children and that's the comparison of Christ like it's just all over the place yeah and it's weird and it's just like maybe it's some type of tactical approach I don't know but it's it's a weird one and it was a even weird as one. a Mormon I wonder like if I heard that would I have been like yeah that all makes sense or maybe I would have been a bit like, um. <laughs> like, what's going on here? Yeah. And I think the whole idea of sin is so fucked up. And have you ever heard a religious person say like to to someone who's not religious, they'll say like, well, you're not you don't believe in God. So what keeps you from sinning? And by sinning, they, they'll yeah. give an example like if you don't believe in God, what keeps you from killing people or stealing yeah. from people? And it's like, that is a very troubling thought that you think that the only thing keeping people from harming each other is fear of repercussions from God. It's like, that says a lot about your character that yeah. you need some guy daddy to tell you what to do yeah. without having your own moral compass of knowing right and wrong, because there is no such thing as sin. There is such thing as right and wrong and doing bad things to yourself and others but like that's not what sin is no and it's that whole thing like the episodes we've talked about before where um people who are agnostic or who are atheist and that idea that like they must be inherently horrible people uh -huh. and now i even you know as a mormon would think that as well because they they had no sense of moral compasses yep. that's what we were taught and it's that same idea that unless you believe in sin, you must be inherently evil or like right. someone who just would not be able to know the difference between right and wrong. And and again, it goes back to like 
that report that was just done on me about the, the, the idea that these are beliefs put on you and like these values are instilled in you from a religion. And so they dictate what you think is right or wrong, not yeah. on morality level, but in just everyday general life, like everything you do, it impacts you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've got to say, I know there are, there are many good people who are Mormon, but for me personally, I know I am a monumentally better person and have a better moral compass and sense of right and wrong now that I don't believe. And I, I truly think that I've met more people who are genuinely good, generous, um, I would say have an amazing moral compass that aren't religious versus those who are. I know there are some really amazing religious people, don't get me wrong. But when I was in the Mormon church, I thought people who didn't have religion were scary and did bad things and want to get me. And now I realize that I don't need to be. (laughs) I am one of those people now. And I'm like, oh, I was very judgmental and very afraid for no reason, because it turns out most of most of society is generally generally good. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. Like it's one of those things where we talked about before where we say like, sorry for this shit we said as Mormons, but (laughs) like, you know, sorry for that. And and also sorry for the way we thought, like, I definitely thought that as a Mormon, that if you weren't Mormon, you must not be as good of a person. Isn't that crazy to think because you married an atheist man and just to think like he is so wonderful and and so great to you. And it's just to think like, that in our little brains, we would have thought at one point that like the Mormon guy that you dated that treated you like shit was quote unquote more moral than someone like Greg just because of their religion. When in fact, Greg is a much better human. <laughs> it's it's absolutely. Yeah, exactly that. I was thinking yesterday, um, giving it away when we were recording, but yesterday was Valentine's Day and um. Yeah, just some of the guys that I dated as a Mormon and who I thought I would end up with and being married, I was thinking they would have never done any of this stuff. And this is how bratty I can be where I was like, I don't think that he got me a card or anything today. (laughs) Even though even though I knew he'd already got us like steak and he bought everything for a meal. He got me champagne, but I just knew about it. And I only got him like a card. And this specialized beer from a brewery that he already knew. And, like, that was it. But then I was, like, thinking throughout the day, like, man, he's not even going to get me, like, a surprise or anything. (laughs) Like, such a little brat. So I'm, like, being grumpy already in my head, like, walking home from from work, from the bus, and seeing everyone on the tube having, like, flowers. I was like, "Mm, must be nice. They're getting flowers. (laughs) Must be nice. (laughs) Must be nice. This is, like, my narrative in my head, right? Like, being so grumpy. I'm like, well, I'm just going to go home then. Y'all, I get home. He bought flowers on his lunch break, schlepped them around the city and on the train to bring them home. Got me not only this really cute card, but he got a card from Rory that was, like, to mommy. Which was really sweet. And then cooked dinner and then cleaned the kitchen and then made sure everything was set up for me so that I could just drink half a bottle of wine and pass out in bed because he knew that's what would happen. It's a good man. I just, and that would have never, I mean, I'm not saying all Mormon guys, again, we always have to preface this because we will get some annoyed people at us, but it's not all Mormon guys, but exactly what you're saying, Katie, like I never in a thousand years would have thought 
that I ended up with a guy who's atheist and thought like, oh, he's such an amazing person and much better than I would have ever been treated if I ended up with those Mormon guys I dated and yeah, like would have married. It's just crazy. Yeah, exactly. And guess what? He didn't need the threat of sin or anything to be such a good person. He's no. just doing it because he's a good person. And I mean, maybe he had the threat of me being a naggy wife. <laughs> <laughs> he was probably like, fuck's sake, I don't want to deal with that when I get home. <laughs> oh, my God. So cute. I love it. Well, on that, friends and listeners, thank you for coming along the ride, and we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.